0: Sales Tuners, episode 107. Wes Schaefer, the sales whisperer. We never get into how to connect with the human being and understand what's making them tick. What are their fears? What are their motivations?
1: This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, attitude action, action, and ability, ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to, to more than $10 million, million dollars in, in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's sales tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Muhammad Ali, who said, Only a man who knows what it is like to be defeated can reach down to the bottom of his soul and come up with the extra ounce of power it takes to win when the match is even. My guest today has seven kids. That alone gave me enough pause to think, how in the world does he get anything else done? Yet Wes Schaefer, aka The Sales Whisperer, describes himself as an obsessively pragmatic entrepreneur who believes marketing is just selling in print. He's written three books, worked with more than 2,400 entrepreneurs and sales reps, and has a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. From Air Force captain to mobile home salesman to entrepreneur, you don't want to miss any of Wes's story. We'll talk about why you should never assume positively or negatively, how routines help you eliminate fear, and how to not sound like your competition. All right. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 107. But now let's get to the conversation where Wes talks about how stand up comedy
0: prepared him for a higher level of communication in the sales process. I've done a TEDx talk. I've delivered keynote sessions in Vegas. And that open mic was the hardest. And uh, a friend of mine used to own a comedy club here in town. And he taught a six-week course, and um, you you created your your program, right? And so, we all got to do you know five six minutes, and um, you know invite all your friends, and and it was hard because you've got to be on every I mean, literally getting something out of the audience about every twenty seconds for five to six minutes. So having something that scripted uh, was hard. But it was, it was great to kind of push me out of my own comfort zone. Uh, it's far different than just giving a, a public talk. But yeah, it was. I recommend everyone do that at least once. It will really get you thinking about how you communicate, how you're perceived, how you prepare. And we're always on stage, you know, every, every human encounter. I always tell people when two or more people meet, a sale is made. You and I both, you know, we talk for a
1: living, we train for a living, we get up in front of rooms for a living. And similar, or maybe not similar, but, uh, you know, I go to comedy shows all the time. I love comedy. And I always think to myself, gosh, I could do this. Here's what I would say. And here's what I would do. And here's the jokes that I would make. And I did it. I did one of the open mic call outs, and I just froze. Like, I, I thought I had everything just ready. And I just like, you're, you're right, though. Like, those bright lights come on you and you look at the crowd and they're just expecting so much from you immediately. Um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. So, well, Wes, as you know, in this show, we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that's led to your success. So, I want to hear more about the Sales Whisperer. What is it exactly that you do? And, and why does a typical customer buy from you?
0: 12 years ago, I was uh, doing just pure sales training. I would teach a an ongoing program for salespeople. I had a different program for sales managers and business owners, and it was just how to connect with the human being on the other end of the phone or the other side of the desk. Um, and then as things evolved, I built a website to start blogging, started engaging with multimedia and applying podcasts and video and tutorials. Um, I added software marketing automation to uh, what I offered, that um, was Fusionsoft, expanded into Entreport, Active Campaign, HubSpot, because I realized selling and marketing are just, they're two sides of the same coin. And I realized really ultimately, I was a, I was a marketer trapped in a salesman's body, uh, even when I was in corporate America. Uh, I always approached things from both sides, you know, from a marketing angle, from a sales angle. I love all that. I think we might have to
1: compare some notes off air about some of the stuff that you're doing, maybe some of the stuff that I'm doing, see if there might be some ways to collaborate because I, I'm starting to see a lot of the same things. You know, I started with just training, got into coaching, which is similar but a little bit different, and then as you said, it, it continues to evolve. And people are saying, okay, well, now that you do that, and now, now I need this, and now I need this, and and you know, uh, I don't know how many people are on your team, but being one person, it's hard to you know be a master of all those things. So I'd love to you know maybe uh, spin some more ideas with that. Um, Wes, like me, I know you started your career in the military. uh, So thank you for your service. How did you make a career change
0: to get into sales? I grew up without a lot of money. And so I did not like not having a lot of money. And I realized, you know, being in the military would be a great career. It would just, it would not pay a lot of money. And so I owed five years after graduating from the academy. and. I always had a little entrepreneurial streak in me. Um, I was, even in grad school, I was with a buddy and we were, we were researching stocks and buying individual stocks and uh, I was investing in some friends' startups and little things like that. So I just, I knew I wanted to be paid according to my production. Sales was, was the way, you know, and I just, and I, I made the jump. You know, I was, had been married less than two years uh, we had a child we had another one on the way we didn't know about. Uh, I knew if I stayed in too long, I'd get too comfortable. I'd have too many obligations and I wouldn't be able to make the jump. So I, I got uncomfortable before I got too comfortable. Jumped into sales. I was a stockbroker you know, with a company that did not work out. Ended up in a lawsuit uh, that, I, that I won three years later. But in the meantime, I was unemployed. You know, I spent a few months unemployed. Ended up in a job selling mobile homes in Mobile, Alabama and um selling mobile homes in 1998 paid a, like a $345 a week draw against commission and that was like $20 a week more than unemployment paid so i took it so my son was born april 16th i was on unemployment um, i started i think a week later and i made exactly $100,000 in those next 12 months selling mobile homes selling mobile homes that's like 148 grand a day and um our rent was, I don't know, it was under four hundred dollars a month. I think it was three sixty-five a month, something like that. And uh, I was and I was making, you know, nine, nine to ten grand a month. I remember January, January of ninety-nine, I made twenty thousand dollars selling mobile homes. And uh I was tired. I was working seven days a week because it was retail and people, you know, when they come in to buy, you gotta go in, do the paperwork. So it was pretty much six and a half days a week, you know. But I hustled and um, I followed their system. I followed the steps. I was a product of the product. That was the beginning.
1: So uh, help me better back that. You, you hadn't really uh, sold. Well, I guess you were a stockbroker, but you hadn't really sold. What, what was that uh, path to success? What were the things that you were doing that were allowing you to have that kind of success right out of the gate?
0: And it was old school, man. It was cold calling, smiling and dialing. So I was decent on the phone, but man, it was hard you know? And, and so just, I started to have some, some success. We got in this whole contract debate. I was right. They were wrong, but you know, I was, I was out on the streets. So my early success, you know, with Oakwood was, I just, I followed their system. You know, there were six salespeople there and two of the guys lived in a mobile home behind the retail center because our manager owned the land behind us. And it was a, it was a just a lot where you could put your home. And, um, those guys struggled to make the rent. You know, and there I was making 100 grand. And I just followed the system. These guys, they would wing it. They would take shortcuts. They weren't very professional. They made assumptions. You know, people, people drive up in a nice car. They go, Oh, yeah, I'll take them because they assumed they had money. A lot of times they'd be broke because all their money was spent on their car. Others would drive up in a beat up pickup truck and a stained baseball cap and a big dip of Copenhagen in their lip. And they're like, No, I don't want them. He looks like a bubba. And, you know, Bubba owned his own business. Bubba was uh, owned a and this was literally although his name was not Bubba, but literally a guy pulls up in a sweat stained baseball cap, Copenhagen ring and his Wranglers, you know, uh, dirty boots. The guy owns a septic tank installation business. And, uh, so he didn't repair them. He just installed new ones. So it was very clean. (laughs) He owned a a trailer, a backhoe, and he had one employee. They would go out, dig the hole, drop in the septic tank and leave. And they made a ton of money. And that guy became a big referral partner for me. Treated him right. I wasn't, I wasn't a jerk. I wasn't an idiot. I wasn't pushy. I got to know him, treated him like a human.
1: Now, are you, are you from mobile or how did you, how'd you get down there?
0: No, my dad was living there. I grew up in Baton Rouge originally, and um, I was stationed in, in Biloxi at Keesler Air Force Base when I got out. I was about an hour away, so I went there to live, uh, live near him. Okay. Well, so you talk about the, you know, following the process, following the system.
1: But you know, unfortunately, in today's world, we're, it doesn't feel like we are training our, our sales reps and our salespeople to the level that maybe companies used to. So talk to me
0: about that system. What is the process? What, what's working that you're seeing uh, today? They think they're giving them sales training. What they're giving them is product training. They're telling them, why their widget is good and better and new and improved and how much lighter it is and how much greener it is. Uh, but they're not telling you why it matters. You know, I remember one of the high tech companies I worked for for a short time, he used to be the CIO of, um, of Goldman Sachs and he starts this business and they bring us all in for like two weeks of, of new, you know, new, new salesperson training and he comes in and talks to us for a while and they're giving us all the information, how, big and light and strong and secure and everything else that it is. And I said, okay, you were the CIO at a major corporation, right? A major financial institution. He says, yep. And I said, and people like you are our ideal prospects, right? He says, yep. I said, okay, how do I reach you? If I'm calling, if I'm knocking on doors, what do I say? What do I ask? How do I engage to reach your peers, the CIOs at major corporations? And he couldn't answer the question. You know, he could tell us all the speeds and feeds. He was a CIO, right? By, by trade. We never get into how to connect with the human being and understand what's making them tick. What are their fears? What are their motivations? And, and if you can focus on that, that's why I've had success selling financial services, selling mobile homes, selling recruiting, selling high tech, selling software as a service. I've sold all that stuff. And done well. And the one thing that all of those have in common is that I'm a human being and I sell to other human beings. So if you can always remember that there's a human at the other end of the phone, other end of the computer screen, then you're going to have a lot more success.
1: So that seems simple, right? In theory, but I know that almost 50% of sales reps uh, fail. Uh, in today's world. So if it's so simple like why isn't or why aren't more people doing that and why aren't more people successful at that connection to another human.
0: There's these great misnomers out there that oh Jim you're you've never met a stranger. You could sell ice cream or you could sell ice to an Eskimo. You know, you should be in sales. So that's the the mis- gnomer about who should be in sales. The reality is introverts, analytical types, make great salespeople because they're inquisitive. Uh, they'll follow instructions. So too many people get into sales just for the money. And they don't realize that when you come across as pushy and abrasive, you know, it, <laughs> it doesn't really work well, especially nowadays. But people still say ABC, always be closing. Coffee is for closers. You know Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. That movie came out in the early nineties. It was based on a screenplay or a Broadway play from the eighties. It was written by a guy in the seventies, based on how on how he saw his dad doing sales, literally in the fifties, sixties, and seventies. So this concept always be closing. Literally goes back fifty or sixty years, and times have changed. And if you don't change with it, then you're repeating things just ineffective processes, uh, saying uh, incorrect things. But people don't know any better. Like, well, everybody else does it. I see these, they're they're all successful. Well, maybe they got lucky. Maybe they cut corners. Uh, You know, maybe they just were willing to work, you know, 80 or 100 hours a week. Because it will work to a degree. You know, a broken clock is right twice a day. But it doesn't mean that's the absolute best way to do things. You know, so connecting with people, understanding how to do that, how to read them, how to take control of a conversation if someone's a hard charger, if someone is an introvert, if someone is very analytical, you know, those things you have to practice. You have to really understand it. You have to understand yourself and then you have to understand others. I mean, that goes back to Sun Tzu and the art of war. You know, basically, if you know yourself and know your enemy, you're going to win. But very few people take the time to do both.
1: You know, there's, there's so many different statistics out there, West, Like, you know, you hear 57% of the sales cycles done before they ever reach out to a salesperson. Um, you know, you hear everybody's busy. They just want a demo. They already know everything. So how do, you, how do you make the time for that in today's world? How do you actually get to have that conversation and get that level of connection you're talking about when it doesn't seem like anybody wants to give it to you anymore?
0: Well, they don't want to give it to you because you're approaching wrong. It's just like saying, well, you know, why... Why go to a nightclub? Uh, you know, the, the women, they don't, they're not interested in meeting guys there. Like, then why are they there? You know, oh, they're there to dance or they're just to hang out with their girlfriends. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? They could stay in their pajamas, buy some box wine, you know, stream Spotify and, and dance in their living room. They're there to meet guys. All right. The problem is the guys are idiots. The guys' approaches are terrible. The guys are using pickup lines that their dad taught them, you know, they thought were funny. You know, when Animal House was, you know, in theaters in the 70s, there's a proper way to approach people. And, and you see all this going on. They're talking about how, how people are, are not getting married until later in life. I saw this one college professor. She had a challenge for kids like to ask someone else out on a date without technology, like walk up and say hello and ask them out and don't use technology on the date. And it was like, you know, cavemen discovering fire.
1: (laughs) Well, I can just swipe right. I mean, why would I want to talk to somebody? exactly.
0: Jeffrey Gitter always says, people don't like to be closed, but they love to buy. We love to buy. Uh, We just don't want to be, we don't want our time wasted. We don't want to be tricked or manipulated or cajoled or closed. And that's the problem. If you sound like your competition and act like your competition and look like your competition, then I'm going to think you're just like your competitors, and now the only way I can differentiate you both is on price. So if something is truly identical, then go pay less for it. If you are different from your competition, you have to differentiate yourself. So I understand why it is it's better for me to buy from you even at a higher price. Because actually, it's not a higher price when I understand everything that I get from you that I don't get from your competition. Everybody does the same. They look around and they do and say and act the same as everybody else. So now I I can't differentiate you.
1: I kind of like want to level up just one step here, Wes. So let's talk about good salespeople versus great salespeople. What is it that you think separates
0: that? Good from great. Great salespeople... Have empathy, and you know empathy is different than sympathy. Empathy means you can relate, you can see things from their side of the table, you, you can walk a mile in their shoes. And so, because our job in sales is to, you know, I say there's four parts in the true profession of sales is that you realize that selling is a calling. You're supposed to be there. Serving is its purpose. You're there, you know, find a need and fill it. Zig Ziglar, right? You can get whatever you want if you help enough people get what they want. Questioning is the process. You know, your, your doctor doesn't just show up and just start blabbing. You know They're like, "What's going on?" Well, uh, my chest hurts. Hmm. A muscle? Inside? What? Well, I think it might be inside. All right, you need the heart surgery. What? <laughs> you know. Maybe just have indigestion. Right? So let's diagnose. The doctor does not go in there assuming anything, even if you tell them. Yeah, you think think your chest is hurting? Let's see. Well, it's actually your stomach, blah, blah, blah. So they, they diagnose. So as salespeople, we must question. And then the fourth part is we realize that a sale may be the solution. Okay. I really don't care if you buy from me. I want you to buy from me. I need some people to buy from me. I don't want or need everybody to buy from me. So I'm just trying to get down to the truth. Okay. So great salespeople have empathy they they seek the truth they show up with no assumptions they realize that they may not be the best solution for the customer that's what differentiates the the pros from the amateurs right empathy they're not desperate they're in it for the long haul and you know and they have a process they don't wing it you know like they say experts professionals don't do something until they don't get it wrong they do it or they, they don't do it until they get it right they do it till they can't do it wrong Salespeople, the same way. They don't wing it. Okay. They know what's going to happen step by step and they have a solution for every situation. And it takes some while to get there, right? But it's worth it. Yeah, and they have to practice. One of the things you said at the top,
1: uh, you, you said you felt like you were a marketer trapped in a salesperson's body. I know uh, Jill Rowley, who's been on the show, she's talked about that notion. I completely get it. Um, it one of the things, though, I, I, I totally get, West this short-term versus long-term mentality and not being desperate. But here's what I want to ask you, right? we got a lot of people who listen to this show. They've got a monthly quota. They've got a quarterly quota. And they need to hit it. Sometimes they don't have the time to uh, you know, think about the long sale. They need someone to buy now. What advice or what thoughts do you have uh, for them?
0: Well, even on the long sale, look, if you are desperate and if the prospect thinks you're desperate and hungry, you won't be able to give it away. Look at it in sports. You know, especially go watch... Watch a professional golf tournament. This, this guy may have a, a six-foot putt. You know, even if you don't know anything about golf, you've been, you've played goofy golf, right? Putt, putt. You know, my four-year-old daughter can hit a golf ball six feet on a putting green. So it's not a physical thing; it's a mental thing. And even a three-foot putt, right? You'll see them follow the same routine. They'll line it up. They'll analyze it. They'll approach it just the same as if it was a 33-foot putt. It's that routine that helps them not be nervous. It helps them keep their head in the game. All right? So you've got to have this process. But when you watch them, they, they, they go through this routine so they can forget about how important the shot is and just do what they can control. All they can control is how far they take the putter back, what angle they take the putter back, and how hard they move through the ball. That's all they can control, right? But from a physical standpoint, they, they can hit it that far. So in sales, can you eliminate that fear? Do you have a routine where you can, you can focus on what you can control? And you can only control yourself. You know, and I tell people, and it's not a trick question like, what's the number one job of a salesperson? Like, well, make the sale. Like, no, your number one job is to prospect. Okay. You cannot force someone to give you money, but you can force yourself to not get drunk on a Wednesday night. You can force yourself to go to bed early. You can force yourself to wake up early, get a little exercise in, clear your head. You can force yourself to get to the office 15 minutes early, get your coffee, turn on the computer, check in on Facebook. So when eight o'clock rolls around, you're ready to get after it. Rookies are just starting to set. They show up at 8.05. They get their coffee. They talk about their fantasy football league. You know, It's 8.20, 8.25 before they're getting down to work. So you got to control yourself. And now are you saying the right things often enough to the right people? Okay. That's all you can control. So that's how you make the sale. You even make it now. Yeah. You can't force them. If you... If you understand that you're in it for the long haul, you know, eventually those things are going to start looping back on itself. And, and the sale that had to be put off 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, eventually is going to come in. So you keep doing the right things. You'll make more sales today and you'll make more sales tomorrow. Right? But you can't, you can't care about the outcome. I mean, it sounds kind of crazy. You can only care about the input, the process. The outcome is going to take care of itself if you do all the right things. I like that notion that uh, you know the routine helps you not
1: feel nervous. Uh, it's I, I haven't heard it put that way, and I actually do really like that. You mentioned Wes the concept of, of, of CRM. You've been in the CRM space for a long time, even in back into your military days. Uh, you know, CRMs. Great for managers, but I can't name a single salesperson I've worked with that enjoys any part of keeping them up to date. Uh, you know, give me some ideas on how to,
0: how to tame that beast. When I was selling mobile homes, man, Mobile, Alabama, right? If you met with a prospect and you got their info and you entered them into the system and they came back, even if you didn't work that lead any further, you got 50% of the sale because you registered them. Really? Yeah because they the company knew even then the importance of building a database right having these names in the system because corporate could mail them assign us to call or whatever so i don't know maybe i was lucky back then by having that that focus cuz that was always the case i'm a freak about efficiency you know i don't want to do redundant things i don't want to do tedious things, automate, eliminate, delegate. You know, people think that, you know, doing the most means winning. It's like winning me to me is doing the least. Okay. How, how much can I put my foot up on the desk? You know, I mean, I train six days a week right now in jujitsu and it's from, by the time I get up from my desk, get my stuff, drive over, warm up, blah, 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 do some extra afterwards, get back home and shower. It's three hours. Okay. Three hours. And you're doing that six days a week, six days a week. With seven kids. Seven kids and a wife.
1: And a business.
0: And a business. My goodness. So the winner is who can do the least. So I'm always looking, even I've got a blog post I made years ago on how to use an iPhone for using the the native text expander. It's built into the Mac. It's built into the iPhone. And I bought another tool for my desktop because it doesn't work in Chrome. So I mean, I'm always looking for ways to accelerate the things that I do. That's how you have to look at these platforms. I remember 2004, I was with a startup uh, out of Austin and we, we deployed, we had Siebel when I got there and that was terrible. And then they deployed Salesforce.com by the end of the year and, and, I was, and I used it, right? I was using their templates. I was using what little email blasts we could do with it. And I remember one time, so our, our boss kept asking for updates on an Excel spreadsheet and I was traveling, you know, I'm getting after it and filling out spreadsheets didn't make me money. That's right. You know, and I texted back to him. I'm like, "It's in the CRM, based on the infinite number of beatings you gave us to put it in the system." Then he left me alone. He's like, "Well, it better be I'm like it is." You know, leave me alone. And um, could he, as big brother, you know, see what I'm doing or not doing? Yeah, but it also kept him off my back. And if I kept the tool updated and I gave him what he wanted, then I could get more of what I wanted. Right? I could get more free time. I could get less meetings, less uh, pipeline reviews, you know, and more time selling or more time hanging out. You mentioned uh, several different uh, platforms there. Uh,
1: you've talked about efficiency and scale, but how, how do you balance that Wes? between, like you said, those efficiencies with the, the tech burnout that I feel like you know, there's seemingly a tool for everything now? And it kind of gets in the way of, of actually selling. How do you how do you balance That's
0: that? That's why I call it process before login. Write down your processes. What is it you want and need to have happen? Do you need a phone call to go out? Do you need, you know, are you in real estate and you get this deal and you've got to kick it over to your appraisal person? You need to do a title search. OK, you know, if, if you get a new lead, do you want to send them a text message? Do you want to send them a welcome gift? You know, does that need to come from your staff? Can you outsource that to a third party uh, provider that does direct mail and fulfillment? OK, write out your process. Once you write it, then you log in, right? Process before login. Then you'll know what tools you need, what tools you can eliminate. Then you don't have this burnout. That makes a lot of sense. Wes, I've got to take a quick break so that I can say thank you to my sponsors. But when we come back,
1: it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales sooners. You don't go either. We'll be right back. Costello is pioneering the way companies build and execute sales playbooks. The platform helps sales reps prepare for calls, ask timely questions, tell relevant stories, and sync insights back to their CRM all while showing managers and reps the gaps in every single deal so they can work them together to move them forward. With Costello, sales leaders can identify what's working on the front line and replicate success across their entire team. Learn more and see a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. Wes, are you ready for the money round? Bring it on. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional?
0: Just pig-headed determination. You know, understanding that anything worth doing is worth doing poorly, right? You're going to fail a bunch. You know, I'm a I'm a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which means I know what I don't know. Every day I'm losing on the mat, but it's worth doing, so I keep going. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? Go back to that process before login, right? Start, document what it is needs to be done and then go do it. I think people, they're not clear on, on who they serve and why they serve them and what value that they bring. Get clear on that. If you can create a powerful message and then figure out how to deliver it in a powerful manner, you're going to win.
1: Two-part question for you here. Which phrase
0: describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose. I don't gamble because I hate losing. And uh, in gambling you, the, uh, you don't really know. that's what's called gambling. The losing hurts worse than the winning helps, I guess, so that's why I hate losing.: What's a book, West, that you've
1: read multiple times, or always find yourself recommending to others?
0: It's actually a trilogy by a guy named Roy Williams, "The, the Wizard of Ads," his first three books. Go find those. Roy H. Williams, Wizard of Ads. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Wes's suggestion of
1: The Wizard of Ads for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book for Roy Williams, The Wizard of Ads. Wes, what is currently at the top of your bucket list?
0: Man... One is to stay with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu long enough to get my black belt. So that's probably at least seven more years. And so that's something, you know, you can't just do or buy. (laughs) Um, They don't, uh, I guess some people do sell them online, but um, it's not worth it. You know, the other is just to, uh, I don't want to own an airplane. It's too much of a hassle, but I do. I live two miles from a little regional airport here. So that's one of my goals just to travel by private air from uh, this location anytime I do have to travel because I really, I hate traveling. That's why I kind of stay home more times than not, but um, I will be getting out more and more uh, as I grow. So a little more private travel. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Oh, there's always a dichotomy. You know, number one is keep grinding. Uh, number two though is get the right tools. So you're, you're grinding efficiently you know, uh, it doesn't have to be painful. It doesn't have to be hard, but you have to be consistent, you know? So go back to that process before login, figure out exactly what it is you need, find the right tools so you can grind uh, efficiently. If the prospect thinks you're desperate, you won't be
1: able to give it away. How powerful is that? If you want to connect with Wes, you can find him pretty much anywhere under the moniker The Sales Whisperer. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, never assume. You've likely heard the saying about what happens when you assume. All you do is make an ass out of you and me. Well, it's true, especially in sales. Wes talked about what he saw selling mobile homes, where his colleagues would see someone show up in a Mercedes and they'd jump all over the chance to sell to that person. But when Bubba showed up in an old pickup truck, dirty boots, and a lip full of Copenhagen, they had no interest. They were assuming that person didn't have any money. Think about when you've assumed, right or wrong, about a prospect, and then you saw your assumption get shattered. Number two, routines eliminate fear. How many times have you seen a basketball player spin the ball and dribble before taking a free throw shot? Or what about a baseball player adjusting their batting gloves and helmet before stepping into the box to face the pitcher? These routines create muscle memory so they don't have to think about the actual action. The same is true with your sales process. If you try to wing it or recreate the wheel on each sales call, well, there's just no way for you to get in the flow. Number three, don't sound like your competition. We are all buyers in some capacity, and in that role we don't want to be sold or tricked or closed, but we do want to buy. Think about that the next time you're with a prospect. If you're trying to differentiate from your competitors and you're pulling out all the same techniques and sounding just like they do, how do you expect your buyer to know the difference? You could be the reason they're forcing the conversation to be all about price. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me, at SalesTuners, or shoot me an email, Jim SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Sales Tuners. Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there.